Hey, everyone. Welcome to the practice of nonprofit leadership. I'm Tim Barnes. For the past couple of weeks, Nathan and I have been traveling for our day jobs, and we'll be sharing more about our adventures in upcoming episodes. But for today's episode, we are sharing an encore presentation of part one of our interview with Rob Hatch. We recorded Rob earlier this year. As you will hear, Rob was a significant influence in Nathan and I starting this podcast. So enjoy the interview, and Nathan and I will be back with new episodes next week. Cue the music, and here we go. Welcome to Episode 24 of the Practice of Nonprofit Leadership. I'm Tim Barnes. Nathan Ruby will be with us in just a minute. Well, Nathan and I are really excited about our episode today. Just about a year ago, we reached out to someone who we had followed online, from whom we gained a lot of wisdom and encouragement. We asked if he would provide some coaching to us to help us figure out where we were and how we wanted to go forward with some of our ideas. One of the outcomes of those sessions is this podcast. Well, that person is Rob Hatch, and he's going to join us on the podcast today. Rob is a co-founder and president of Owner Media Group, which he runs alongside Chris Brogan. He's also a highly sought-after business coach and an advisor, serving executives and owners of organizations large and small. Most recently, he is also the author of the book, Attention, The Power of Simple Decisions in a Distracted World, which both Nathan and I have found extremely helpful. Rob is also a husband to Megan, an award-winning photographer, and is the father of four children. We had a lot of fun recording this episode, and Rob shares so much practical wisdom about leading, in particular, leading ourselves. And the fact that Rob actually got his start in the nonprofit world makes it even more insightful to the work in which we all are involved. So here's part one of our interview with Rob Hatch. Well, Rob, thanks for uh, joining us on the practice of nonprofit leadership. Uh, we were just talking before we started recording that it was just a little less than a year ago. We, uh, Nathan and I reached out to you to have a conversation about some coaching, and we spent a few sessions with you, you asking questions and challenging us, encouraging us. And uh, here we are, uh, 23 episodes later on this podcast. So we're we're glad you're here because you're. Uh, we want to share uh what little joy we have here for it <laughs> with you so rob thanks for thanks for being with us today oh thanks so much for having me guys appreciate it it's good to see you again you too well um i was really encouraged as i as i got to know you a little bit and i read some of your your book and we're going to talk about that in a minute but i was i was encouraged that you actually started in the nonprofit world which is really beneficial because that's who who we're talking to uh small to medium nonprofits, executive directors are trying to figure their way through. And so you bring some of that experience to this conversation today. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what that, what that looked like. Yeah. I, uh, thanks. Yeah. I got into the nonprofit world, um, by way of being in, uh, early childhood education. That was where I started running childcare centers, actually being a teacher at, at some point, but I wanted to, uh, and move to Maine and, and bring that skill of running a business, you know, of the business of childcare, but thinking that, that, that focus, um, 
could be really well applied inside of a, a nonprofit. And I just got lucky enough that it was a child, an early childhood focused nonprofit as well. So that uh, it was called the Child Health Center. And at the time it um, served children and families uh, with special children with special needs and their families. So uh, it spent about eight years leading that organization as the executive director. It was some some of the best experiences in my professional career, for sure. I'm curious, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but as you have had your feet in both worlds, are there are there similarities? <clears throat> are the challenges similar? The things that you know that you wrestle with or the struggles that you have, do you find that similar to the business world as well as nonprofit world? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it's similar. I mean, it is running a business after all, but for me, the best part of being in the nonprofit world was being mission driven. Uh, that that changed everything. When I, especially when I came in, I, I inherited a mission at the Child Health Center. Focus, having that focus and be the driver of the decisions that you make around what programs to take on, uh, how to serve, who to serve, it really clarified things. Like I could always balance it against the mission and say, are we actively, you know, serving children and families in the way that we say we do. Um, you know, we wanted to, the, I can even remember the mission because I said it so many times, it was to improve the lives of children and families by providing the skills, knowledge, and support to help them achieve their goals in life. And I always anchored to their goals in life. Mm -hmm. This idea that it wasn't our goals for them. They got to say what they wanted, and then we got to gather around them and support them. So having that as a driver, thinking about how do we shape programs that come alongside families rather than, you know, sort of top down, we know what's best for families. Um, how do we get to do that, but also bring our skills and knowledge and support, uh, you know, to, to, the, to the table? Because we do have some specialized skills that, that maybe this family doesn't have, but it all has to come from their goals and, and teasing those out with them. So I loved that. That was that's my favorite part of this, you know, the <clears throat> taking a, a vision and mission um, like that for helping children's and families uh, to achieve whatever their goals are. It is, that sounds <clears throat> rather um, simple maybe, or, or easy to attain, but it is incredibly difficult to, to take what that family is looking for and then uh, bringing alongside uh, board members and staff and leadership and donors and the community to bring everybody behind that all going in the same direction. It is, it is difficult and it is exhausting for a nonprofit leader to do that. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you know, there are ways in which I feel like we nailed it. And there are many other ways uh, where I feel like we didn't. And, and you mentioned board and donors and that's, that was the biggest challenge in it all for me. Uh, and so the the thing I don't miss about the nonprofit world is chasing down money. Um, now, in, in a business, you're always looking for sales still, right? Uh, there is that element, but just trying to find money and, and watching the political landscape from year to year. We had, we had much of our money was grant, grant funded. And then we also, uh, by virtue of the specialized pediatric therapies we offered, we could build the state, you know, for certain, certain therapies, but finding 
quality people paying them well and getting, you know, reimbursement. Uh, it's just, and having to watch that from year to year was, that was exhausting. And so I, the way areas that were most challenging for me was, was the board involvement. I mean, I had a good support. They supported me really well to be entrepreneurial and that was fun, but I didn't, you know, my failing, I think is that I didn't lean on them or let them lead as much as they just gave me permission to do what I wanted to do, which I was like, okay, this is fun. But, um, but when I needed a real board, um, I, I failed at, at, you know, pulling that together, building that board relationship. I, I didn't feel like I did that as well as I could have, you know, in, upon reflection. Yeah. You know, sometimes when Tim and I are, are doing a, a recording one of our sessions and we're talking about whatever the topic of the day is and, and we start to think about it and um, either before the show or after the show and we realize what we're talking about today, that's like, you know, that could be a full-time job. Right. And then next week's episode, well, that could be a full-time job and that could be a full-time job. And for a lot of our, our, uh, of our listeners, you know, it's just them or, or maybe, you know, a yes. couple of, of volunteers or something. And so that constant struggle of where do I put my attention? Where do I put my focus becomes a daily issue for them? Uh, I absolutely. And often you hear, you hear the phrase, you know, the, the executive directors wear so many hats and it, you know, it, it gets overused or whatnot, but it's so true. I mean, there were entire stretches of, of days that I spent in uh, Augusta, Maine, which is where our state capital is, just having to do a lot of uh, communication, lobbying work around the issues that were central to our organization. And that was both fun, but it is exhausting. I mean, I, a lot of great opportunities. I was fortunate enough to, um, through that work, uh, I got nominated to be uh, the co-chair of a, a legislative subcommittee that got to shape the policy around, uh, you know, specialized pediatric therapies in Maine and special education in Maine. That's really exciting, yeah. but also that's a lot of work and like you said, a full-time job. <laughs> and I still had an organization to run back home, but this was, it was critical to get, you know, the, make sure that the system was in place. But the fact that an executive director has to be mindful of keeping an entire statewide system in place in order to serve the children that they serve is insane. Well, you know, one of the, as we've talked about, I think one of the biggest challenges as an executive director of an organization is, is managing themselves in some ways, trying yeah. to decide where do I put my energy? How do I have the biggest impact? Some of those kind of things. And um, I reading the book, your book in attention was um, a game changer in a lot of ways for me, Nathan, and I have talked about that. Maybe just even talk about where'd that book come from? Was it out of sure. your experience? Yes. <laughs> a lot of it is out of my own experience. And, um, you know, it also comes, I mean, I wrote the book because I had it in me, you know, for, for a while and I'd had the pieces in me. I had a, a course that was, that was similar way back when that, that I had developed um, that many of the, the elements of the book are drawn from. But it, it also, interestingly enough, is tied to my mission. Uh, you know, my personal mission, I literally write it out every day, which I borrowed from the Child Health Center, pieces of it, is to help others do their work better. Um, and again, their work, right? I don't know what it is that's important to them, but I need to come alongside them and help them do it. So that model for me is in my mission. And with attention, 
I have felt the pain of being pulled in a million different directions, of being completely scattered, of not knowing what to do, when to do it, uh, of trying to always be available to the people that I supervised that, or the, to the board or whomever. Uh, I was, uh, our organization had about 45 employees and I would be on site every single day. And I was one of those managed by walking around folks. Um, I was I was a door open, always um, manager. Uh, I regret a lot of that, to be honest with you. I think I did, I did okay, I made it work. But the idea that um, I would allow those interruptions in my day, you know, someone would walk in, just knock on the door, and I would drop everything and focus on them. What I realized eventually before I left that organization was I was splitting my attention. I still had something I was working on on the screen, for, let's say, and maybe I'm writing a grant. And you knock on the door and you come in and I say, sure, have a seat. I am not giving you my full attention. My brain is still working on that grant and I'm trying to, to give you everything, but I cannot do it. And so now I'm failing in two areas, the grant and in you. So I started one of the first you know, realizations there was to say, I can't right now. And, you know, can we, can you come back and started to set up some of those boundaries for me, realizing that my attention would get split and that I wasn't going to be honoring the person or the work I was doing. So it's, I had to make a choice. All of this really comes from uh, a couple of different things, but an experience I had on vacation when I was away with my family on Cape Cod, and I still, like many of us, uh, bring a little work on vacation, <laughs> and wish wish I didn't, but I did. I mean, I'm fortunate that I did because it was the kernel of the book. But I had some work that I needed to get done, but I made some really clear decisions. I was going to get up before anyone else. So I didn't interrupt my family's vacation. I was only going to work on three things. I set some rules for myself around not checking social media, not checking email, because that would pull me in. Uh, so I just did three very specific things. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do, exactly what I was going to get done, and exactly a limited amount of time that I could get it done in before everyone started waking up. And I did it every, just about every day of the vacation. But after a few days, I got to the beach with my wife and I said, you know, I've accomplished more in those couple of hours before anyone woke up than I've ever accomplished in an entire day in an office. It's just remarkable how, how much I was able to get done. And I came back and I have a good friend who we, we coach each other. We have for about nine years now. We have weekly conversations for nine years, which is amazing to me. Her name is Becky McCray. And Becky and I kind of teased apart why that was true. She helped me to kind of pull it all apart and figure out what, what made that work and why. And then I started to do a little bit more research into those elements and, and put it all together. So attention is really driven around from this idea that we're overwhelmed and I want to help people create some space. I want to help people do their work better. And doing your work better means being able to decide where you're going to put your attention and on what and on the important things and prioritizing. So creating that space. <clears throat> and it came from that, that experience really of realizing that. And now I've replicated that. I've, that's the, the end of that story was how do I replicate what happened every day in an office? 
uh, gets back to those boundaries and making the decisions the night before. So, well, I uh, if you haven't picked up the name of the book is Attention, and <laughs> the sub the subtitle. Uh, can you remind me, Rob? The subtitle is. Yes. Uh, wow. I can't believe I just stumped on my own <laughs> subtitle there. The power of simple decisions in a distracted world. Wow. That just shows you how fast my brain is working this morning. So yeah, simple decisions. Uh, that's the other thing. I don't want things to be complex. I want it to be easy. I am not a, I don't know. I just, I, I'm not a work harder person. I'm a work, work smarter person. And if I can find not a shortcut, but if I if I know somewhere in there that there's just a better way to do this, do something, I want to figure it out. And and so, yeah, simple decisions in a distracted world. Well, Nathan, you were talking about just the hustle culture that we're in. Why don't you? Yeah, you know, in the in the in the world. Um, and I even get it with some of the some of the people I talk to on a daily basis, some of my friends, even some of my neighbors. And and, and you get two people and hey, what's new? What's going on? And it and, and it always goes back to, oh, I'm so busy. I'm doing this and this and this and this. And and it's a in our culture right now, at least in the American culture, it is the more you work, the more hours you put in, the more busy you are, it's like a badge of honor. Yeah. And at at uh uh, you know, closer to 60 than I am 45. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to work longer, harder. Uh, I still want the output, but I don't, I just, I don't want to do that anymore. And so for me, that culture shift in my head, it, it's been difficult because that's been ingrained into me for decades. And yeah. so how do you make that shift in your head that, you know, I don't have to work 14 hours a day, six days a week to be successful in my chosen field. Well, I mean, it's, it's hard because one, you know, if, if we grew up in this culture that's sort of ingrained that, that hard work is, is how you make it in this world. Right. But that got twisted even further with that hustle and grind culture that, that you're talking about and, and the sort of badge of honor that it became, but I think it takes some stepping back. And, and I, I, had hoped and I believe still that that you know the pandemic kind of caused a little shift. I'm even noticing it in advertising. Uh, there's a new ad for uh I can't remember which car, I believe it's Volvo, um, where in which they're saying, yes, we want to work hard, we want to strive for things, but we want it done on our terms. And and I was like, oh that's they're t- they're playing on this shift that's happening that people are kind of fed up and maybe rethinking what their priorities are. So that's the silver lining or one of the silver linings, I think, in, in forcing us to shut down uh, is, is to look at, look at what really what's important. And, and if we can carry that over, much like you know, I did at the, from the beach to daily work, like how, if, 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 we really, if that felt good in any way, maybe start talking with someone about how you can continue that and not get sucked right back in uh, hard in a fast paced culture, hard to do in, um, in a, uh, and you know, when you're wearing all those hats in a nonprofit, yeah. but at the same time, it, it, it's so much more rewarding to think I'm working on things that are really important right now. Um, not filling my time with busy work, know, busy work. Yeah. And some of it needs to get done, but there's ways to shape that. I just, it's about reclaiming your time just enough to make a decision that, that reclaiming that, that space between stimulus and response. When you see something 
If you can just pause for half a second before you react and think about, wait, how do I want to react? If you start practicing that that little thought just a little bit, you start getting more and more space. You get a little bit more control. You can start aligning those decisions with your value. You don't have to buy, you know, the sale item just because it's on sale, you know, for example, like, wait a second, this doesn't align with my personal budget. This doesn't run with my personal values. It's a good deal, but it doesn't have to be a good deal for me right now. You know, things like that, simple things. I, I think that's a real shift because it's easy, I think, as a particularly a small nonprofit exec- executive to feel like I don't really have much choice. I've got so many things going on. I forget that I actually do have uh, an opportunity to make decisions and choose how I'm going to lead, how I'm going to live out my life in this situation. Well, it makes me think, as you're saying that, I think part of the culture is that we always feel like we're behind because there's always more to do tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. So we never actually catch up to anything. So if we can accept that we're never going to catch up, like there's always more to do, you can pause for a second and say, all right, well, what, what is a reasonable, sustainable effort here? So let's take donors for a second and the relationships that you want to make with those donors. And you always feel like, oh, I got to do more. I wish I did done more. And I got to send out these cards and thank yous and I'm supposed to, you know, have 12 touches before the next ask and all of these things. You know, if we could slow it down and just say, okay, what, what am I going to do this week? And for how many people, you know, I, if I reached out to five of my hundreds of donors just this week, it's one a day. How am I going to do it? I'm going to do, you know, five phone calls of 10 minutes just to say, hi, catch them up on with some of the new developments, thank them again. That's it. Or I'm going to write five note cards. It's better than doing nothing or feeling completely pinched because you were caught up in everything else that you never get to it. And now you're really, really behind, but that you, I don't know what, what it was in your words that just made me feel like that that's part of the problem is just feeling like we're always trying to catch something. Um, and we're never, if we acknowledge that it's not going to be caught and just think what, what do we need to do right now? What's the most important thing for me to be doing right now? I just was going to add the, and what I think that happens, it happens to me, I know, and, and other people that I've talked to is when you get so far behind and you feel like you're just, you know, circling the toilet bowl as you're going down, yeah. um, you just quit or, or you give up or you, you get this defeatism and then that's a self-perpetuating, uh, you know, co- mind concept. Oh, it's that's yeah. I mean, so many bad things happen when you find yourself in that scenario it's also in that moment when, uh, and this is sort of where I wish I had been better with my board, um, creating a culture where I could be a little bit vulnerable with them to let them know that I was a little overwhelmed without fear of losing my job. Cause that's real. Right. I mean, oh, you know, yes. we, we say we don't do this for, for, you know, for the money, you do it for the mission and everything else so that, that somehow justifies us taking crappy salaries. But, um, but the, but we got to feed our families. I mean, this is, this is important. So, you know, having the ability to have a support network inside that, um, inside that organization somehow, even if you're the solo person, or if it's got to be outside, finding someone 
um, that you can that you can speak with another nonprofit executive. Uh, years and years ago, Chris Brogan and I tried to start a, a you know an online nonprofit executive director community called Five Hundred One Mission Place, mm. and it, it it didn't work out really well, but. The idea, the concept of, of executive directors needing support, particularly outside of the circle that they're in, because I don't know about you know you, but sometimes the com- competition among those nonprofits that are local, oh yeah, is a little cutthroat, and I yeah. don't miss that either. Intense. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of collaboration on certain things, but really, if I can take an extra 5% on my side, I'm going to do it because it serves my organization, you know? Yeah. Comes a zero sum game. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But we need support is really it. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't think there's anything more isolated than a small organizational executive director. They just, they're isolated and there's no place for them to go to vent or to for support or sometimes even for help. You have some key phrases in your book, attention, and mm-hmm. uh, that I grabbed onto. But one of those, well, let me just say this first. I appreciate that you talk a lot about creating frameworks, kind of systems, and kind of just instead of just waiting for things to happen, actually taking initiative. But one of the phrases that you use a lot is putting success in your way. Yeah. You talk about that. That's I just appreciated kind of your thoughts around that phrase. Sure. Uh, put success in your way. I still think about it every every single day. Uh, the the basic idea comes. Put success in your way is based on is a principle based on three elements. Willpower is limited. You know, so we we don't have an endless supply of willpower throughout the day. It, it kind of runs out. Decisions are distractions, much like willpower. You know, it uh, for every decision we make, our ability to make subsequent decisions is is degraded. And that habits are a powerful biological or neurobiological force that we can actually leverage. So taking those three elements, if we if we can just agree that those things are true for a moment, that I'm going to run out of willpower, that having too many decisions in front of me is going to tap my energy, and that uh, I could actually build some habits that would make life easier. I mean, one example, I mean, what would we, we don't have to think about tying our shoes, right? I mean, it just... It is so ingrained that it's just muscle memory at this point. So if we had to spend any time thinking about how we tie our shoe or how we brush our teeth or any of those ingrained habits, it would be exhausting. So our our brain wants those things in place, those sort of easy things. So if we take that and we, we sort of look at applying that to the idea, the principle of put success in your way, it's how do I avoid tapping my willpower? How do I avoid making too many decisions and how do I rely on on some habits? The example that I use in the book that I I like because it's just so so simple and so real for me was whenever I would, you know, if I'm if I'm taking up exercise, going to go out for a run or whatnot, that's hard to the hardest part for me is getting out of bed and getting outside. If I can get outside, I'm going to run. There's just no two ways about it. I will move my body in some way, shape or form. But the distance from my bed to the door uh, outside is huge. So if I have to think about where are my clean socks, where are my clothes, uh, where are my headphones, where, you know, what do I need to wear? Uh, is it cold? Is it hot? Uh, where am I going to go today? All of those things will trip me up. 
those are a lot of little tiny decisions that will exhaust me and tap my willpower to get get out the door. So rather than using willpower to get out the door, I would put success in my way by gathering everything that I would need, the decisions made, I'm running it this time, I'm going this far, here are the clothes because I checked the weather, it's right next to the bed, my shoes are there, everything I need is there. So really all I do is sort of fall out of bed into my clothes, now I'm out the door and I didn't have to expend any of that energy trying to get there in the morning. I can now use the willpower to push myself on my run a little bit, uh, which is a to me a better use of my willpower. So you take that to work and and we'll talk about the the story you know on vacation there the night before i uh before i leave for my day to go back home or back into my life because i work at home i decide what i'm going to work on the next day i get really specific particularly around three i have a two-hour block of time and i choose three projects of about 40 to 45 minutes and i they've got to be really specific for me so the decision is made and the things that I need are available. And in that way, I don't have to worry about making decisions or applying willpower to do it. I also have some rules. I don't check email before that block of time. If I do, I'm done. I, I, email is, uh, and this is a phrase borrowed from, from my business partner, Chris, <laughs> email is the perfect delivery system for somebody else's agenda. And I'm I want to have some control over my agenda for at least a portion of the day. So this is where I think had I done this more as an executive director, I, I think it would have been even more successful and better, a better servant to, to, to the mission, to the people that I was around. If I had set that up and just closed the door and worked for two solid hours on three, moving three projects forward, and then went into my day. And made myself available, walked around, checked in. Uh, I, you know, it would have been much easier to handle. And you start to see the progress because you decided the night before, last night guy, as I like to call him, got everything ready for me. So tomorrow guy, when he wakes up, he's going to have everything he needs. He doesn't even have to think about it. Decisions made. And there's a clarity in making that decision the night before. Um, you, you're kind of stepping back a little bit because you're not in it right? You're not, oh my gosh, the day is just beginning. What do I do? What do I need to do? What's, oh crap, you know, this email came in from so-and-so. Let me respond. Shut it all down. Take five, 10 minutes at the end of your day. Choose. And then those rules are really important. Not not allowing those interruptions. I even, I won't answer a phone call from my wife. Uh, We have a little rule. If I'm in that success block is what I call it. If she calls me, I actually will ignore it. If she calls me twice, that's the bad signal. And I better get up and answer the phone uh, because something important has gone on. Sure. And, and, but that's just how we've set it up. Thanks for joining us for part one of our interview with Rob Hatch. Part two will be coming next week. Rob's information, along with a link to his book, Attention, will be in the show notes. If you're appreciating what you hear on this podcast, Would you take a minute and leave a review on the platform you use to listen to the podcast? If you'd like to get in touch with Nathan or myself, our emails are always in the show notes, or you can contact us at nonprofitleader.online. That's nonprofitleader.online. Leave a comment or voicemail and let us know what topics you would like to hear or that you would find helpful. Until next time. 